0: Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. Okay, today is super, super special because I'm not only interviewing somebody that I get giddy about because she's a famous author, but she's also the mother of our salon partner, who's just absolutely amazing. Hannah DiPuccio and Kelly DiPuccio is here today on this podcast, and I cannot thank you enough. I've been asking your daughter, Hannah, if I can interview you for this podcast for the longest time, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to wait for her. I'm just going to go directly to you, so thank you for doing this oh well
1: thank you for inviting me yes my celebrity daughter <laughs> is too she's so amazing i just love her so much you well done mom
0: and dad because what an incredible leader that she is at just such a young age i'm proving it that it doesn't matter what age you are you can be a leader if you want to
1: be so and we've really proved that so good job on that. oh well thank you <laughs> well she's had some fantastic role models in you and brianna so She's learning from the best so we're uh, really really grateful. We love it. Well, we hope to open 100
0: salons with Hannah so we be to keep her energy up. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, okay, so Kelly DiPuccio is the New York Times best-selling author of over 30 stories for children. Her books have been translated into more than 20 languages and have sold more than 1 million copies worldwide. Kelly's titles include Grace for President, Gaston, and The Sandwich Swap, a picture book she co-authored for Queen Rania of Jordan. Her books have appeared on Good Morning America, the Oprah show, and The View, and have received numerous starred reviews and awards. Kelly travels the country speaking to schools about the importance of kindness, overcoming adversity, and personal empowerment. Her books inspire readers of all ages to dream bigger dreams and believe in themselves. Kelly lives with her husband of nearly 30 years in southeastern Michigan. They have three young adult children and three crazy dogs and so you can actually look up kelly right now go to her website it's really cool you can see all of her books just absolutely beautiful gorgeous books i've seen them in stores all over the country it's kelly k-e-l-l-y d-i-p-u-c-c-h-i-o.com <laughs> um. so look it up you can order her books they're absolutely gorgeous kelly first of all let's back up here Queen Rainia of
1: Jordan. <laughs> I know all? that I, I sometimes still pinch myself that that even happened. It was very, very surreal how that opportunity came to me. And how did
0: it happen? tell us the
1: story. Well, it's, it's kind of a long story um, to get to the point of that actual book becoming um, in print, but. You have to go back to um, Grace for President, which is one of the titles that you mentioned too. And when Grace for President first came out back in 2004, um, it immediately went to the New York Times bestseller list, which just floored me. Um, in a way, and this is why, because this was around the time like that book, The Secret was really popular and people were doing vision boards and manifesting and all that. And um, so I kind of hopped on that train and and was um, kind of really envisioning um, a New York Times bestseller. And um, so when it happened, <laughs> I nearly, of course, fell out of my chair because it was very, very unexpected. There was not a big promotional campaign for this book. Um, It just kind of came out of nowhere. So I was like, wow, maybe there is something to this stuff. And so, um, but then it kind of felt a little bit selfish that I had manifested something (laughs) so selfish in in terms of creating this New York Times bestseller. And so I decided um, to kind of try something different. And I decided that I was going to, Kind of turn it over to God, turn it over to a higher power, and just see what happened, you know. And so I kind of changed my mantra, and I started saying, "Not my will, but thine," and just kind of inviting God to um, step in and 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 let's see what happens. <laughs> and so um, I kind of did this. Just it was really a short turnaround. I want to say probably a few weeks. And um, I got a phone call from my editor at Disney and she started talking about a monarch and I thought she was talking about butterflies. And and then she started talking about Queen Rania and I'm like, well, what does she have to do with butterflies? (laughs) I was really slow to download what she was getting at. But ultimately what she was asking me was, would I be interested in co-authoring a book for the Queen of Jordan? And I was kind of like, well, um, yeah, I guess, <laughs> um, but it was pretty overwhelming, you know. Um, and I think, in, from their end, it was kind of on the heels of the success of Grace for President. And um, but I knew what was really happening, and this was this um, this prayer that I had put out into the to the universe to be used in a way that would um, serve the greater good. And um, the result of that was this book, The Sandwich Swap, which is really based off a true story, um, an incident that happened in the queen's childhood when she was a little girl, she went to an international school and her best friend was from the United States and her best friend would eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day and the queen um, had a different lunch favorite, and that was pita bread and hummus. And so it was kind of like a story about how, you know, we tend to judge other people when we're not familiar with their cultures or their food. Or, and because this had really happened to the Queen as a little girl, she tells a story. And so when um, the publishers had heard her tell the story, I think it was at a conference, a Maria Shriver Women's Conference in California, um, they immediately saw the potential to turn this into um, a picture book. And so they invited me to, um, help tell her story. And so, um, it's really a story about, you know, tolerance and being open-minded and healing. And, um, and so, um, it was just very obvious to me that this book, um, was just a gift and, and because it was, you know, Queen Rania, it, it, immediately went on the Oprah show. She was invited on the Oprah show to talk about the book. And then of course, because Oprah was talking about it, it went to number one on the New York times (laughs) best. So it exceeded anything I could have manifested for myself. Um, And to me that just speaks to the power of God. And when you are able to kind of surrender Mm -hmm. and trust that there is a bigger plan and, in things that you can't even imagine for yourself. So so that is kind of the long story behind the sandwich swap. And that's when, you know, and and also it's been published in so many different languages around the world. So again, something that I never would have put on a vision board for myself, right? (laughs) Um, And this just shows what can happen um, when you have that faith and you have that trust. And so... Um, it's, it's just a really, uh, was a really special time in my life to be a part of this project. And I get letters from, you know, schools all over the country, even the world, um, uh, that are using this book to talk about, and they have like, um, cultural nights at their school where everybody, you know, brings dishes from their heritage, their favorite dishes, and they share them. And, um, and so it's, it's just really very touching to be a part of a project like this that um, is bringing communities together. Um, it's allowing kids to ask questions and to try new things and, and really, you know, to be a better friend. And so, so that's the story behind Queen Rania and the Sandwich Swap.
0: <laughs> that is the most incredible thing I've ever heard. I want to dig a little deeper into that. But hello, the Oprah show. So tell me about that. <laughs>
1: well yeah that was just really um incredible experience well Queen Rania was up on stage with Oprah talking about um the book I was in the audience and they really didn't get into the whole co-author thing because that kind of opens a can of worms in terms of how you know co-authors work and you know the process and I was totally okay with that because um you know, I never would have gotten a book on the Oprah Show myself. So um, the fact that you know we were kind of both being used in this way, um, I was very happy to step back and you know to be in the audience and just to have that experience. You know, it was just incredible to go to Chicago and go to Harpo Studios and and um, I did not get to meet Oprah sadly because they the publishers had had plans to whisk us off after her segment because we were going to a school in the Chicago area to um, meet with kids. And so so we kind of, you know, did that immediately after her segment, but I did get to go there and be in the audience and, you know, experience that whole thing. And then just to see the book on television in that way was just really, (laughs) again, I, you know, when I started down this path, you know, over 20 years ago, That was something I would, I mean, I was a stay-at-home mom watching Oprah in my kitchen. You know, I was the one who was, you know, had toddlers hanging on my legs and, you know, trying to get dinner on the table. And then, you know, fast forward, not even that far ahead, you know, 10, 10, 15 years. And to see a book that I had been a part of being there was just very, very surreal. (laughs)
0: Um, Wow, Uh, from stay at mom to a New York Times best selling author, Hello, we're gonna dig into that. Like how, how in the world did that ever happen. But I have to ask you about Good Morning America. Tell me about that. What happened with Good Morning America? Well,
1: and Good Good Morning America was kind of along the same lines of the sandwich swap tour and um, because Queen Rania was kind of making the rounds. So the book was on there. Um, as well. um, Grace for President was on um, The View, um, because I think it was a President's Day um, episode, and they put my book up on the screen, and they were talking about how Grace for President was a great way to teach your kids about the election process and electoral votes, and and so they had this really short, brief discussion, but there it was, you know, on, the, on the, the View discussing, you know, this book about, you know, a kid wanting to be president. So, yeah, it was, again, just amazing that, you know, these things just happened.
0: <laughs> oh, a riot. So The Sandwich Swap and grace for President, are those your two biggest sellers then
1: because of these things happening? Um, Yeah, those are the two that were on the New York Times. Um, I have another book, um, Gaston, which um, never made the New York Times, but has sold a ton of copies and is really, you kind of see this book everywhere. Um, Anthropology carried it in their stores, Pottery Barn Kids carried it in their stores. Um, And um, so this is kind of like just a really, really popular um, title, Christian Robinson is the illustrator for this book, and he's just a phenomenal artist, and so, um, this is another really big, big seller, um, of my books, but, um, yeah, those are probably my three top sellers out of, you know, all of them, um, but, it, you know, and that's what's the beauty of this job, it's like 20 years later, I still love it, and I can write about so many different topics, and, you know, I've written a book about, you know, bacon, <laughs> everyone loves bacon. And I've written a picture book about zombies. And I, you know, so there's like, I'm ha- having the time of my life, really. It's a lot of fun um, to create these stories and then to connect with young kids and to go into schools and to share um, the stories of kids is just really a blessing.
0: When did this dream all start? Was this something that you decided when you're a little girl you wanted to be an author? When did it start? How did it come into fruition to be an author of children's books?
1: Well, I've always been a big reader and always loved books. Um, It never occurred to me when I was a kid that I could grow up to be an author. I think I would just thought that was just some big fancy career that happened to people who lived in New York City or London or Los Angeles. And, you know, and I was just this regular kid growing up on small farm in Rochester, Michigan, and so I didn't dare to dream that big when I was a kid, Um, but like I said, I always was a big reader and loved books. It really wasn't until, it's kind of an interesting story in in terms of how it all kind of came together, but it wasn't until I had kids of my own, and um, I was reading a lot of really boring books, (laughs) you know, Barbie books and Thomas the Train books, a lot of the really commercial books that my kids enjoyed, but I just was really bored to tears reading them. And it really wasn't until like we discovered, you know, the library and I would, you know, take them to the public library and I would check out stacks of picture books. And that's when I kind of really got excited about, you know, all the great stories that were in picture books. But even around this time, um, my grandfather, who was really, really close to me, he, uh, my grandmother lived next door to us in Rochester. So my grandparents were my next door neighbors. And so, um, but he passed away. And of course, it was just, you know, a really sad time. I was pregnant with my son at the time, my second child, and when he passed away. And shortly after he passed, my aunt in Georgia had this really amazing, very vivid dream. And in her dream, my grandpa was a turtle, <laughs> and my my mother is one of seven girls, no boys. So, um, all the seven sisters were were these beautiful willow trees, and my aunt, and my grandmother was a willow tree. And it was this very symbolic dream. And in the dream, my grandpa dove into a lake and he took off his shell. So it was very symbolic of like losing the body. And he was in, in the dream, he was saying, you don't, don't need this anymore. And he was just buoyant and joyous and free. And um, so she recorded this dream. And I to this day, I, I have to ask her like, what made her come to me? Because this was before Facebook, right? When someone could send your aunt or your cousin a message, you know, on Facebook. This was, you know, you had to pick up the telephone and call someone or, or handwrite them a letter. And so um, she approached me because we were putting together this little memory book for my grandpa with like his favorite recipes and stories about him. And so she asked me, a, I have like 26 first cousins, right? She mm-hmm. asked me if I would be uh, willing to take her little dream and kind of turn it into a little story for this memory book. And so I did, and it really was like a fairy tale. It was like a fable um, with my grandfather being this turtle who, who, you know, sheds his <laughs> shell. And so when I wrote that, like something in me stirred, you know, and I still couldn't, I can picture it as clear as if it had happened last week. I was outside in my backyard. This was when we lived in Sterling Heights. The kids were just bitty and I was pushing them on the swing set and I, I just asked out loud, is this, is this what I'm supposed to do with my life, is to write these kind of stories? And it was, it was like the sun just came out and it, the, the sun was setting at the time, but it was this glorious orange, red, pink sky. And I, I don't know, it just like, it was visceral, the feeling that came over me, that yes, this is what I was supposed to do. So it's very interesting that, um, because my grandfather had passed and this dream came, and at the time my babies were little and I was reading to them, that it all kind of came together and put me on this whole new path of writing books for kids. So um, so yeah, it wasn't, some, it wasn't a childhood dream. Um, it really wasn't until many years later. I, I went to Michigan State University. I got a degree in um, child psychology. I worked in social work when I got out of college. So I had a kind of like you, you reinvented yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I did the same thing. You know, I just um, decided to take a detour. And I'm so glad I did because it's just been such a joy in my life to have this career. So
0: Unbelievable. It's, I hear this story so often, but so many people don't act on... Uh, this type of a feeling, but you just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I remember, um, I knew when I got involved with the Mental schools, like the hair just stood like you remember the moment I could remember the moment, you remember that moment. So you knew that's what you were supposed to do. I guess the big question is, how were you able to take that moment and truly believe in yourself? I think this is going to be called be a dreamer to make it happen. Because when I look back on my life, and and I'm hearing your story, which is very similar, how were you able to take that dream and move it into fruition? Did you have to borrow the belief of people? What happened in that moment for you? What's that untold story of transformation for you, Kelly, that that said, you know what, I can do this?
1: Yeah, it was it was a process for sure. Um, I started out, you know, writing very badly. (laughs) I had a lot to learn. Um, and, and that was okay. You know, um, I just kind of jumped right in, in the beginning and writing stories and sending them out and, and getting rejected. And, um, it, a kind of a, there were a, a couple different turning points in my, uh, in that journey. And a big one was I went to, um, Uh, a little talk, there was a children's bookstore in downtown Rochester called Halfway Down the Stairs, and it was a wonderful independent children's bookstore, and they would have all kinds of programs for kids, but they had these guest speakers, and they were a couple of published children's authors, and so it was kind of like they put on this, like, so you want to write books for kids kind of a talk, and so I went to it, and, and looking at them, I was like, wow, like, they're regular people, (laughs) you know, they drive carpool, you know, they have to go grocery shopping, they have to clean toilets, you know, there's nothing that they uh, have that I can't learn. Mm -hmm. And so seeing them kind of gave me the permission, like, okay, um, if they can do it, I can do it. And I just have to keep at it. So that was one part. And so I continued to collect rejections and continue to collect rejections. Um, And it was discouraging. Um, I have with me, and this is, I'm so glad I have them because I take them to schools all the time and I show kids. Um, These are just um, some of my rejection letters. I was rejected almost 200 times consecutively over six years. (laughs) So, um, So yeah, it was discouraging for sure. Um, Almost all of these are just form rejection letters that I got back for my stories and um, and it was hard. Yeah. And I I was doing this on top of, you know, raising very small kids and, you know, I had like a a typewriter word processor in the beginning, a lot, some of the early stories, you know, and, and there was no email. (laughs) So it was all done by snail mail. Um, but what, what was another turning point for me getting all those rejection letters is someone gave me this really valuable advice and it was, you know, if you had to acquire, um, when you started in this journey, if you had to acquire 100 rejection letters, would you keep going? Well, of course you would. Would you keep going if it was 150? Yes, of course I would. How about if it was 300? Yes, of course I would because there was the finite number. So this person told me, you just have to proceed as if that number exists, but you don't know what it is. And Mm -hmm. so changing my mindset in that way, then every letter that came, I'm like, oh, I'm one closer. I'm one closer, I'm one closer. And so it made it where it was impossible that I was gonna fail at this. And I think that's really key. Um, to success is eliminating the doubt. And it's hard, it's hard to eliminate doubt. But um, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be setbacks. But if you can just keep that doubt in check, because that doubt just kind of, you know, makes mixed signals, you know. And so again, when I changed that mindset, I was one closer, I was one closer. I didn't take these so personally anymore. Mm -hmm. It was just another step, another step, another step. And also in the meantime, I was continuing to learn. I was continuing to grow. I was going to the library, was checking out books. I was studying books. I joined critique groups. So I think that's another important part of, you know, being successful is taking action. You can't just, you know, sit in your room and you know, keep wishing and wishing um, without that growth and that change. And so as I was doing this and, you know, meeting new writers and learning from them, um, I got better. <laughs> and so, um, and then eventually I I got that yes. And so, um, you know, and that changed everything. So I I love to go to schools and tell kids that story because I tell them, you know, you don't have to know what you want to be when you're a kid. You got a lot of time to figure it out. And I just say, I hope you pick something that you love to do, something that you're passionate about, something that excites you. And just remember, you know, all the people who told me no, you know, because if I had, you know, listened to them and I had given up, um, then I would not have all these books, you know, and my life would have turned out very, very different. And so, um, so yeah, so that's, you know, it it was, it was a long road. (laughs) Once you kind of get your foot in the door, it does get easier um, because, you know, you make contacts and, you know, you work with people, you develop relationships. And so um, it was just getting that, you know, that first break that was just so huge.
0: The first break. Okay. We're going to talk about that first break, but before we do, so I put down, Ah, be a dreamer yeah. and the first step to that is to pick something in your life that you truly love to do, something you're passionate about. And I want to take that further, something that kind of really makes your skin crawl like it did for me yeah. or that be something. And it's like this eureka moment. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, I need to do this. And so beyond a shadow of a doubt. And but on um, step two to do this is you've got to take action Uh, But you've got to be rejected. And I'm telling you right now, this is something that I coach salon owners on all the time because we have a coaching business for salon owners and managers. And I think one of the biggest things that causes them to quit, which most do, is the fact that they're rejected because they'll have salon walkouts. They'll have team members leave. uh, They'll have uh, clients that leave or clients that say no and you know we're always building our stylists and one of the biggest things is they get a lot of no's from people or the person won't reschedule with them they get a no they get rejected so let's let's dig a little deeper there because why were you able to handle that rejection what did you have to specifically do what's that untold story for you that uh, encourage you to move on past 200 rejection letters. Hello, I don't know many people that could do that. I don't even, I don't think I could.
1: Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just felt it so deeply that this was something that I really wanted and needed to do that um, and I knew that there were other authors, published authors, who had similar experiences, who had been rejected multiple times as well. Um, all mm-hmm. of them. Rejection is just part of publishing. And so I knew that. So I think when you can kind of, you know, just realize that it's it's not always personal, you know, sometimes it is, <laughs> but um, it's just developing a thicker skin. You just have to. You kind of just have to. And um, and that's not to say that I didn't have times where I just wanted to give up and just, you know, was so frustrated. And maybe I would, you know, quit for um, a couple weeks or maybe a couple months. But I always came back to it because I missed it. I missed the writing. I missed the stories. And so. Um, so because of that, I just kind of just kept plugging along. Um, and you know another key part of it too is you know, like I said, having those networks and that support, you know when you can share with other people who ha- are in your shoes, um, that's just huge because then you can you know complain to somebody like, oh, I got this you know this third rejection this week you know and I think just, you know, sharing your story helps to, um, to kind of get through it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's just, um, because I had this really big dream and it was just, I just didn't want to fail at it. Or if it's something about my personality, I'm not a super tenacious, you know, super outgoing kind of person, you know, I'm really very much an introvert at heart. And so, um, But something about this just was so important to me to keep going. And God bless my husband for for working as hard as he did, because I was really fortunate to have this window of time when my kids were very young to, to kind of reinvent myself. And so... There were times when he would be like, I'll take the kids, you know, you go to the library or go to the coffee shop, you know, he was always very, very supportive of my dream. And you know, where a lot of, you know, partners could have said, you know, why don't you go out and get a real job. (laughs) He never said that to me. He never ever said that to me. In fact, he would send me cards of encouragement. And so that that was like, so huge for me to have his support, you know, um, in this dream. And then he never thought of it as, as silly or a waste of time or, you know, so that was really, really important part of my, my journey as well.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Let's, let's talk about those 200, um, company or publishers that rejected you on the one. What's the name of your publisher right
1: now? (laughs) Well, when I say 200 rejections, that wasn't like different publishers. Like I would take one story and send it out to like 10 or 12 or 15 different publishers you know and so um one story could be you know rejected multiple times by different publishers but i work with a lot of different publishers i work with disney i work with scholastic i work with um random house i work with simon and schuster um penguin i i i think because i'm a picture book author i can be more prolific and so I have an agent now, so that helps too, definitely helps a lot now too, so in terms of he manages all the submissions. But um, yeah, so I work with multiple publishers and editors, and a lot of times like the publishing industry, um, there's a lot of changes that go on, like an editor might leave to go to another publishing house, and so when they go to a new publishing house, then they'll contact me and we can see if we can get a book going there. So that's another part of why I'm kind of like spread out and work with a lot of different publishers. But um, yeah, yeah so, cool. uh, so
0: give, give the reality of it. So the uh, ones that turned you down. So how much money would you say that these other publishers have kind of approximately made from you? Give give them monitor at Valley because the other ones are probably thinking, man, I blew it. I should have <laughs>
1: Well, what I don't know and it's funny because you know you don't get super rich in children's books I mean I make a, a good living I really really do um, but like I think a lot of kids think like we're all like JK Rowling who make you know multi-million dollar um, deals and stuff but um, no I make a really good living and I, it really depends on the book too because I've had some that have done you know, really well. And then I've had other books that haven't even earned out, you know, mm-hmm. um, I get an advance on on, a, on an offer, and um, they don't even earn out. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, there are still it's not like n- once I got published that, you know, everything was, you know, rainbows and puppy dogs, and it was easy, mm-hmm. you know, I still get rejected to this day. Um, mm-hmm. Rejection is still part of it. Um, I'm subjected to, you know, crazy reviewers on Amazon or Goodreads, you know, you know, um, people who want to criticize you or your books. And, and so again, that's where your thick skin has to come in and you just kind of like, okay, you got to take the good with the bad and, and, and kind of go with it. But, um, oh,
0: I can't imagine somebody criticizing a children's book. <laughs> oh, they do. <laughs> they they <should> find- do. <laughs> there they're out there they're so busy out there just rejecting everybody i guess i think god kind of um, allows those to be planted to to allow us to push us even further and be tenacious in our dream and to lean on him i love the fact that you said you know not your, not my will but thine and Mm -hmm. i love that you said that because even through the whole rejection process you've been saying well this isn't my will anyway. So I can handle the rejection because really the rejection's coming at you guys and you can handle a lot of rejection. Right. And so
1: absolutely
0: powerful. So I put that down. Um, I said, be passionate. Number one, number two, be rejected. Uh, but I also love that you said, Kelly, um, that keep your doubt in check you yeah. said that eliminate the doubt, keep that doubt in check. How are you able to do that? Like doubting yourself? Because, you know, I could see where you'd be like, Oh my gosh, I keep getting all this rejection. Maybe I'm not a good writer. And I think of different uh, people that are um, in different industries. Cause I coach a lot of entrepreneurs and how coach them, how to keep their doubt in check. How were you able to do that? How do you continue? Uh,
1: well, again, um, I, I think it's important to you know to be forgiving of yourself, and you we all have bad days, you know. And you know, I still sometimes feel, feel like, oh, I'm never going to get another idea, or I might be stuck on a story and it's just not working out. And then I think I'm just never going to publish another story the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I have those days, you know, and that's that's okay. Um, I think the key is to be able to. Um, I think I saw a a quote or meme and I just love it. And it says, if you fall into a rut, just don't furnish it or something like that.
0: (laughs) If you fall into a rut, just don't furnish it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I'll have to look for it and send you the little meme because it's just such a great one. It's a great reminder to me. Like, yeah, we, we do fall into ruts. We do have days when maybe, you know, the doubt creeps in, but, um, you have to be able to pull yourself out of those moments and, and then and I'll, I'll look at my body of work and I'll know that there were times in between some of these books when I was you know, maybe struggling or feeling like I would never have another idea and I got through it. Um, I also use a lot of visualization techniques sometimes when I'm feeling maybe stuck or doubtful. And, um, like I have this book here, Superman, he stands up. And this again is another book that kind of came through me. Um, it's about, it has an anti-bullying message and it's a book about kindness and, and standing up for others. And so, but when I was getting ready to work on this book, it felt like an important book to me. And I started to get a little bit overwhelmed about, you know, could I pull this off? Because I, I could just feel what was coming. Um, and so I started just to visualize in my mind that the book was already done. The book was already published. I was imagining it on my bookshelf with my other books. Mm-hmm. That all I had to do was relax and just allow it to come through me. And so I think, you know, sometimes, you know, just breathing <laughs> can help us get through those doubtful days. Um, taking a walk outside, um, clearing your head, take a shower, whatever it is that you can kind of do to reset, um, helps to just kind of keep those those doubts at bay and just kind of get you back on track, you know? Um, and so that was really, you know, an important step in in, in the book this particular book's process i remember sitting in the chair over here in my office and just kind of like going into this like almost like a meditation and, and envisioning it and it's funny because now here it is you know it's actually here and at one point it was just here or even out here you know and so you can you have that ability to pull things into form um if again get it sometimes you got to get out of your own way you know um you know, the let go, let God, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> and, um, and trust that, you know, process.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I love, it's refreshing to hear that you, as an entrepreneur, you go through those moments too. We, we all do business owners, entrepreneurs, and be okay with that. And that's why you surround yourself with other like-minded people, which is so important. And I think that jumps into number four is, you know, making sure that you not only network, but you're also coachable and you get educated because you said yourself, and I love John Maxwell because he always says, listen, just write the darn first book. You're never good the first time anyway. Just get it done. (laughs) Right. Just get it done. And I remember because I kept second guessing myself with my first book. It took me four years and I heard his voice and I said, I'm just releasing it. Whether I think it's finished or not, just finish it. And I think someone's listening right now that's working on a book, thinking it has to be perfect. No, you're not good the first time anyway. Just get it out there, get it done. Start on the second one. And (laughs) so, how, how, what, what kind of um, message that came through you to say, you know what, I'm going to get educated. I'm going to jump, and I'm going to learn how to be a better writer. If I keep getting rejected by these. Publishers with these stories, I realized, wow, okay, maybe I'm not that good. So let me work on this. And I think of hairstylists. So, so many times they start blaming uh, their clients. They're like, oh, they're just rude. You know, it's like, no, you kind of suck. You, you need to get better at doing, <laughs> doing your craft. So you need to work on your craft, right? right. And so, so many times. People will say, well, you know, I'll just wait for somebody to teach me. No, go invest in yourself and start practicing your craft. Get some models in here and start getting good at this, and then you will be good at the craft. So, what was it for you that said, you know what, I'm just going to do this? I'm going to, uh, how much money would you say you spent on yourself to get this business up and running? Because I think so many times people think, uh, no, the money will just come, and you know if it doesn't come, then I'll quit. But you probably invested a lot of money. Do you know any like the uh, approximate
1: amount that you invested? Well, you know, the beauty of writing is that in the beginning you don't need a lot of startup costs. If you have a pen and paper, you can write a story. <laughs> um, but you know, obviously, then it helps to have a computer. and you know, so I was fortunate that I didn't require a lot of, of money to start out. Um, but I, over time, I would you know purchase books and I you know, they were they were what I studied, you know, And it's mm-hmm. interesting because I see a lot of similarities between like Hannah's journey and what mm-hmm. I went through because you know her in beauty school, you know, she would, you know, get, kind of get overwhelmed by like seeing, uh, you know, maybe the, the the students who are on like level two or whatever, and they were doing this beautiful hair, and she's brand new, and she's getting nervous about, you know, some real basic things. But it's like, you will get there eventually. Sometimes, you know, you can't get overwhelmed by the big picture and, you know, compare yourself. So um, you just have to do it in really baby steps. And, and that's just true for I think for any any business or anything that you want to get better at, you know, you will defeat yourself if you start to compare yourself. Um, I share with kids another story. Um, I have, I don't have it with me to show you, but I did this um, art thing when I was like in elementary school, like in fifth grade. And I did did this like cartoon, it was called vegetable hospital. And it was like a spoof on general hospital. And so I had all these fruits and vegetables (laughs) who worked in the hospital and, And it was just this really kind of funny cartoon that I had created. And I loved art when I was in elementary school and I was so excited about going on to, to junior high because I could take art classes. And, um, but once I got there, I started to compare myself to other kids. And, you know, when it came time to draw that still life fruit bowl, I wanted to put like eyes on them and mouths and have them talking because that was the kind of artist I was. That's the kind of creative person I was. And instead of like celebrating who I was as a creator, I compared myself to someone else. And so I stopped loving art. And I really kind of gave up on any kind of dream of being an artist because of comparing myself. And so I share that with kids because I want them to know that, you know, maybe they, they love, Uh, music, or maybe they love dance, or maybe they love sports. And not to compare themselves to what other kids are doing, because really what they're doing is none of their business. You know, you can learn from them, absolutely. But to compare yourself and to put yourself down is not helpful, because it really has to happen in these baby steps and in celebrating who you are as a creator and what you're good at and what you love. And um so yeah, so that's you know another part of uh, the process I think is you know to to honor where you are at in the in the journey and to yes use other people as inspiration but uh, not to compare. Wow. Okay, that, that's a whole message
0: in itself. I mean, mm-hmm. I could have you get up and speak to every single one of my team members and um and our stylists, and so I put that as number five. Um, I, I, so number one is be passionate. Two is be rejected. Three, keep your doubt in check. Four is be coachable. Uh, five, don't get overwhelmed by the big picture. You will defeat yourself if you try to com, uh, compare yourself. And I love that you said that honor your journey. I love that you said that because that is so huge and just taking those little shifts. Talk to a person right now that just says, you know, I, I just cannot stop comparing myself, I get on social media and my heart just drops because I'll see somebody that's doing better than me and it just like, it irks me inside and I get sick inside and I get depressed and talk to that person that's saying that right now, speak to them how to avoid comparing themselves but only inspiring themselves with what they see. What more could they do?
1: Well, I think one thing you can do is you can compare yourself to your old self <laughs> and you can see how far you've come. And I think that's really helpful because when you can see you know, how much you have grown, then it just shows you, well, I'm gonna continue this trajectory. I'm gonna continue growing. And so like, I can look back at some of my old stories, the first ones, and, and I can smile at them and I, I, I love them for what they are. You know, They were the beginning of my journey. And so, um, but I can see how far I have come. So I think sometimes that's where you, comparison is helpful when you can compare where you are in in the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, like I said, it's it's great to use other people as inspiration. Um, but I think, you know, here's another story that's kind of related to that. I have a a, a friend who's a published children's author and she was, you know, published before I was. And she's a dear friend of mine to this day. And when I was first published, I was going to start doing school visits, and she was, you know, going to schools all over all over the state and talking to kids. And she was really good. Um, she had a puppet. And so I went to one of her schools to see her in action because I wanted to be like her. I wanted to emulate her because she was so great. And so I went, you know, to the schools and I saw her with her puppet and, you know, and the kids were loving her and loving her presentation. And so I ran out and I got a puppet. <laughs> I, my first book is Hogs, And so I got this big pink, pink puppet pig. And I'm like, I'm going to be just like her. Well, then I get this dumb puppet and I can't make him speak. (laughs) Like, I'm like, uh, it just wasn't comfortable to me. It was not something that I was, I was comfortable with, you know? I'm like, unless I start like drinking on the job, this pig is mute. I just can't make him talk. And so that was a valuable lesson for me. Like, I can't be exactly like her because that didn't feel authentic to me. And I think that's another key component is being authentic. And so um, I told her my dilemma. I'm like, well, I got this big pig puppet and I can't make him talk. And she she gave me some great advice. She said, well, have you thought about like, maybe he's really shy and he could whisper in your ear and then you can translate for the kids. I'm like, ah, that's genius. And so I was able to use the puppet in a way that felt right with me. And so I use that pig for years, you know, but he would whisper in my ear and I would tell the kids what he said. And so I think that's, you know, we, we can take from um, the people that we're inspired by, but also tune into our own feelings and what feels right to us and, and what we're comfortable with and maybe adapt that a little bit. So. Oh my gosh, Kelly,
0: that, that is so big because I mean, we literally will have our stylist say they want to be Hannah. And I'm like, stop, <laughs> saying that say you want to be you right because that's ridiculous yeah be inspired by hannah i mean she's so inspirational i mean we can see why i mean look at her mother and now I don't <laughs> know humor from i told her she needs to write children's books because she tells really funny stories and i love when she uses different voices and tells stories and it's so cute she gets <laughs> that it's one of my favorite things about her i love that you said that kelly because i think it's something that we have to on a daily basis just tra- retrain our brain to be ourselves because mm-hmm. God made each person unique and right. to really honor what God made us so that we can understand our true value of who we are. No, He didn't make us Hannah; He made us us, and right. so let's make that happen. I love that you said that. And so number six, I put uh, have networks of support, and I love the fact that you you know you took on this co-author thinking I've never done this before but if you didn't your book wouldn't have been on the Oprah show it Mm -hmm. wouldn't have get good morning America and the fact that you took you know took that step and and I truly believe one is too small a number to achieve greatness and and we're in this uh this era right now this season of people who want to be entrepreneurs and they're going it alone they're not partnering with people so that they could go even farther and I keep trying coach my leaders you know hey stop going alone you know bring on partners like-minded people because you go so much bigger with the more people that you have and i i love that you said have networks of support talk through that process to like what what convinced you in your mind that hey i've got to bring on uh support i gotta be a part of network to be even bigger than what i think i can be
1: yeah um I think for I was going it alone for the first several years of writing um, and it's hard to be objective about your work when you are not open to feedback, you know, and so um, By joining a writers group and a critique group, I was basically inviting other people to say, I need help and I need your input and I want to be better. And so um, so it's kind of similar in a way to what you're doing with your salons and in having these, you know, moments where you kind of come together and you support each other and you coach each other and you help each other, um, to, to get better and to grow. And so that was really key for me is, um, being open to feedback and to, you know, not be hurt by it. I mean, yeah, we all have feelings and we're, we're sensitive and the beauty industry is very similar to the publishing world in that these are our creations. We create, we create hair, we create words, you know, and so it's hard not to take that personally. If somebody is sharing something that they think that you can do to, to make it better or, um, and so, but I think that from my experience, if I would just take a step back (laughs) and not react, you know, and allow that to kind of sink in. I get letters, editorial letters from my publishers when I, you know, they want to make an offer on a a story. And sometimes I'll get back all these notes of things I have to change, you know? And my Mm -hmm. first reaction is like, they don't know what they're talking about. This is crazy. <laughs> you know, you, that's just kind of your knee jerk reaction sometimes. And then, so I know that what I need to do is just kind of, if I'm having that reaction is to put it, put it away for a little bit and to, you know, let it sit and then to revisit it and to know that they have my best interest at heart. They want what's best for this book. And so I need to take that into consideration. They're not trying to offend me. They're trying to make something better. And so um, I've also learned that it doesn't hurt to try when they suggest something. Cause I always have like, oh, this is my draft. I'm keeping this <laughs> the way it is. I will try what they're suggesting and see what happens. And I'll be darned if almost every single time Um, It's better. And so, um, so I think just being open to that kind of feedback and, and, and criticism, and that just helps you to become, um, you know, a better uh, whatever it is that you're doing. And I think that also speaks to why I have as many books as I do, because the editors I have worked with know that um, I am coachable, right? I, I will listen to them. I will take what they say into consideration. That doesn't mean that I'm a doormat. Um, mm-hmm. If there is something that I really feel strongly about that I feel needs to stay the same in the story, I, I will speak up. I will say why I feel the way I do. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I also take into consideration, you know, what they're offering. And, um, and because of that, um, like I said, I will have editors go to another publishing house and they'll call me up on the phone and say, let's get a project started because um, it is kind of then becomes a collaboration, right? And so, um, so yeah, so I think that's, you know, another really key component is, is being open to other people's suggestions and ideas in, in mm-hmm. keeping in mind that they have, They want, hopefully they want what's best for you or the company or the book or whatever it is.
0: Absolutely. I I love that you said that. And so I put that as, actually, I added that as number seven, be open to feedback and criticism. I love what you said, Kelly, is take a step back and don't react. And uh, same thing, you know, with struggles in business, you know, I'm getting so much better at that. I think it comes with experience of, you know, don't react, Tina, just, you know, hey, they're coming at a place of what they truly believe in. try to see how on their side, put your, you know, put your, uh, their shoes on your feet. And why are they thinking that way? Oh, I can see why, because they're coming at this place. And, uh, but I added number eight, Um, But once you've taken all that in, and you're not reacting anymore, and you've really, really seen the other side, speak up, speak up when you feel strong about something. And I love that you said that, Kelly, because I think as and I love the fact that you're writing, you know, grace for president, and you're a woman and a very strong woman, and you're, helping women to speak up, and you're going in and speaking to children. This is huge. And these anti-bullying issues, like, let's be kind, right? right. And so I love that you said that. Talk about that. Where'd that come from you to speak up? Because you have a lot to say, Kelly, and so does <laughs> Hannah, by the way. I've watched Hannah flourish from kind of a little bit timid, of speaking up to now you're going to know her thoughts and wow. And she comes at you and she is a strong woman and I am so proud to partner with her. And that's what I said, what I did earlier, but what, how did that happen for you? What's that untold story to finally speak up?
1: Wow. Um, yeah. And you know, proud mom moment here. I, I, She amazes me too. Some of the things that she says and some of the things that she posts. I'm like, where is this coming from? You know, she's just really... No, I I say the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) And she just really has a a, a way with words and she has a very big heart and she's not afraid to share it. And so she's always been that way. She's always been very um, passionate ever since she was a baby, you know. Um, And I don't know where it came from for me, honestly, um, I have a very strong mother, you know, my Mm -hmm. mother, um, was president of a steel corporation in Detroit.
0: So, um,
1: that was predominantly um, a male dominantly, pretty much entirely a male dominated field. And she was a top steel salesperson selling steel in Detroit and across, you know, to, you know, Pennsylvania and all over. So, um, I think having her as a role model and she was a single mom too, you know, um, seeing her like just kind of dig in and, you know, make things work. And she was, she's to this day, she has um, everywhere she goes, she makes friends. She's just very outgoing and talks to everyone. And so I, I, I must have absorbed some of her grit and uh from her and and just seeing her as a really strong female role model and um but you know it's funny because you know like when you publish a story or or publish a book like i didn't didn't even anticipate this whole public speaking portion of it you know like you write a book and suddenly people want to hear what you have to say and i'm like no 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 i I just want to stay in my office and and write stories (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it didn't work out that way. Um, so, so yeah, I had to like push out of my comfort zone. And, um, and that wasn't, you know, it was, again, it was a gradual process, little by little. And now I speak to sometimes upwards of a thousand kids in an auditorium, you know, and, mm. and um, what I have learned from that is that whether you're speaking to two people, or 200 people, it's really kind of the same thing. You know, if you are being authentic and you're just sharing your story, um, you know, you can't just get like intimidated by the bigness of it, you know. That's not to say I don't get nervous because I I do sometimes get nervous, especially if it's like a different kind of talk. Like I had to go this last summer to Nashville to speak for the Center for American Women in Politics. That's mm-hmm. not my comfort zone. <laughs> I was so nervous about that. And um but that's okay. We all we all have our times when we get nervous and um and it's just kind of like pushing through this and I, one of the techniques that I always say that helps me is like okay, this time tomorrow it'll be over. <laughs> and it's just a little thing like that. Like this too shall pass. It all does. Mm-hmm. And so when we get so worked up and so anxious about things there were always all these things in our past that we were nervous about or anxious about, and those are in our past now. So this will too. So it's little little things that I, you know, kind of do. But I love the fact that you said uh,
0: this too shall pass, and just you know, speaking an affirmation statement over yourself, which I think you know we have to speak to ourselves. You know, just not only speak up to people, but speak to yourself too. So yeah. I actually made that number nine. So so here we go. So be a dreamer. Uh, like Kelly, uh, be passionate, uh, be rejected is number two. Number three, keep your doubt in check. Number four, be coachable. Number five, don't get overwhelmed by the big picture. Number six, have networks of support. And then I had number seven, be open to feedback. Number eight, speak up. I made number nine, push through the nerves. I love that, push through the nerves, this two shall pass. What would you say would be number 10 as we uh, start to finish out this podcast, Kelly?
1: Oh, uh, what would number 10 be? Um, I guess number 10 would be to, to keep tapping into the joy that brought you to this dream in the first place. Um, you know there we all have obstacles and setbacks and we you know we talked about some of that but um if you can keep tuning into why you were doing this in the first place um, and have that gratitude of like how far you have come and all that you've accomplished Um, so gratitude and joy for where you're at honoring where you are in the journey And um, I I think that just makes a big difference, you know, because um, the gratitude really is everything, you know, um, I I look back at this 20 years and everything that has happened in all the books. And um, I really try to take a moment each time a new book comes out or every time I go into a school, every time before I meet with an audience of kids, I have a little moment of prayer and I ask you know, to God to, you know, again, use me an instrument of peace to, and I think when you have that kind of foundation and, and that kind of groundedness, it just, it makes all the difference in terms of, you know, how you get through that, you know, presentation or how you get through that next book. Um,
0: so wow. yeah, that would
1: be at my number 10, gratitude I'm and joy. <laughs>
0: So good. Yes. Keep tapping t- into the joy that brought you to the gene- dream in the first place. I love that you said that because so many entrepreneurs that I know are just so angry, Kelly. They're mm-hmm. so angry. They're angry at their team. It's like, wait a second, stop right now. Why did you even get into this business? Let's talk about this, right? You're, right. You're, you're, there are little issues that we can help you through. Let's you know work through the foundation. Let's work through the leadership principles. Let's get back to the why. Why do you want to do this? And the fact that you talked about gratitude, Kelly, is so important, too, because I think we get so caught up in our problems. We get so caught up in the challenges, the day-to-day challenges that we have, and we forget to check ourselves (laughs) before we wreck ourselves. Right. (laughs) Be grateful. I love that so much, Kelly. So what's next for Kelly um, as you're uh, dreaming for this next? (laughs) Season in your life. What's next for you, and how can uh, people best get a hold of you? I'm assuming it's the website that I mentioned in the beginning uh, to purchase your books too. So talk about that.
1: Yes. Um, well, my website is just my name, Kelly DiPuccio. Um, you can Google it. Um, my books are all on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble. You know, pretty much wherever you know books are sold. If it's an older title, they might need to order it if it's not in stock. Um, What's next is I have a couple books coming out next year um, that I'm excited about. Uh, One is a a mermaid book about a little mermaid who is um, an inventor and um, so uh, I'm excited about that. I kind of love to do the the strong female characters I think. uh, Strong female characters and dogs kind of seem to be my thing. I keep kind of going back to those two things. but yeah, um, the rest of this year, I'm just doing a lot of um, kicking off reading month, March, I'm visiting a lot of schools. I think I have like 19 different speaking engagements coming up. So I'll be on the road um, talking to kids, showing my rejection letters, and, and hopefully inspiring them to be big dreamers and um, to persevere. And, mm. and so, yeah, so that's kind of what's in store for me. Wow.
0: Who would have known or thought that this beautiful young lady from a small town in Rochester, Michigan, from a stay-at-home mom to a New York Times bestseller and speaking (laughs) to thousands and thousands of kids. And how incredible. What a legacy that you're leaving, Kelly. I cannot thank you enough for doing that. And definitely get her books. We have several for my grandson, (laughs) which are they're so beautiful. The books are beautiful, Kelly. And I love that you're doing a mermaid book because one of my directors, she thinks she's a mermaid. So I will definitely buy that book. <laughs> for her. She will love it. I love kids books. This is so fun. You can learn so many leadership messages through kids books too. So thank you for being on today. You are absolutely amazing.
1: Thank um, you. Well, thank you, Tina. It was, it was my pleasure to spend this time with you. And uh, thank you again.
0: Yeah, back at you. All right. Take care, Kelly. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.